What's going on, everybody? It's Travis here with the NPCs, and welcome to another weekly news roundup. It is January 6, 2023. God, it's so weird to say 2023. But anyway, we're going to be getting into the news tonight, of course, talking about PlayStation announcement at CES 2023. We're going to be talking about a brand new accessibility controller, some information about PSVR 2, and of course, the state of PlayStation going into the new year. We'll also be talking about the analyst prediction that we won't be seeing any new Nintendo hardware this year, but we'll probably be seeing it next year. More on that, of course. And we'll also be talking about ZeniMax's QA staff, now becoming the largest video game union in existence. We'll also be getting into more of that. That and more, of course, on the weekly news roundup, and we're going to just hop right into it. Of course, my name is Travis. You already know that. That guy over there, that's Kyle. Kyle, what's up, man? What's up? Man, like, I, I don't know if I'm making a mistake on this by just us focusing on talking about PlayStation stuff at CES because there's been so much crazy gaming stuff talked about at CES, definitely more focused on the PC side. So before we get into talking about the PlayStation stuff here as our first story, I want to start off with your thoughts on what you've seen out of CES so far because you and I have shared a couple things, I think, back and forth, but what's some of the stuff you've seen that's driven you bonkers um there i i haven't paid a, a lot of attention to some of the stuff i mean there's i want to say a really cool like see-through panel but those come up every now and then it seems like for the past like six eight years something like that yeah they really um do. so that that's nothing special um some really cool controllers coming down the line, especially like with the Alienware Nicks, um, that the whole idea of a uh, Dell integrated home server that's basically your your gaming machine for the entire house. That's a really unique idea. The The controller seems kind of cool, uh, but also very niche with the uh, touch reactive triggers and the uh, roll wheels on the bottom. Basically a second, um, uh, second gen Steam controller, huh? Uh, very much so it kind of looks that way um i i want to even say they removed the d-pad for like another analog stick or something like that so I it's kind of so, yeah. interesting um and then you've got the uh rog controller um that was announced that that one's supposed to have a little display screen that can potentially tell you if you know you've muted yourself and before everyone's yelling at you or you know be able to modify different button inputs uh outside of of the game settings before you actually go into the game or while you're in the game to adjust your gameplay on the peripheral uh on the fly rather than in the game so that that's kind of a cool concept as well definitely a couple of the interesting ones that i saw first and foremost is lg announced a tv uh they showed off a 98 inch model but it wasn't the size, it was the actual functionality of it. And it's a wireless TV in the sense that the actual control unit for all of your inputs, your HDMI, like basically all your video and network inputs is done into a wireless hub. And then the video signal from those connections is transmitted wirelessly to your LG television. And for anybody who may have, say, like a spouse or significant other who who decries the wires and the the um, consoles and other entertainment goodies that stack up and wires are all over the place. And trust me, I've, I feel like I've hidden enough wires in my walls 
uh, several times to address some of that. But this is one of those neat ways where if you're one who wants to try to even go further and maybe, say, stick your stuff into like a wiring closet, you know, to really hide it away and provide that nice seamless experience, something like that wireless functionality is pretty slick. Uh, there, there was another one I did see that was a TV. Yeah. Um, it was a entirely wireless TV that used a modular battery pack system and mounted to the wall using a vacuum seal system. That's so that was kind of a cool concept. Interesting. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine though, like with the battery part. I mean, unless it does like some sort of like wireless power transfer or something, and the battery is more of just a uh, backup. It was actually modular batteries that you pop in and out, and uh, it, I guess, would the the concept said it would come with like two essentially, but they're good for up to a month at a time. So you pop them out, you charge it, and you put the other one in, and you should be good for up to a month, depending on you know your watch time. So that's kind of a cool concept, not having to worry about any wires or you know any hookups to the TV, other than you know if maybe you can hooked to some sort of wireless uh, receiver system, um, and then you are completely wireless at that point. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that would be really handy for a lot of setups, especially like if you live in an apartment or a rented house and you can't put holes in the walls to hide things, you know, then right. that might be one of those things to help at least make things look clean without potentially damaging the property and losing your deposit. Um Cooler master. Well, and with TV stands, you know, <laughs> taking up so much space with the consoles anymore, it's might be nice to have that extra space to just, you know, vacuum seal the TV or wall. But <laughs> yeah, especially one that you now can't stand up right because of a potential uh, cooling issue that may short out your uh, console. But we'll get to that in the quest markers right. anyway later. But Cooler Master had a couple interesting things. The first one was they showed off a. Um, concept out of i can't remember what it is it's like the core x line i think is what they call it and it's where they have it's like cross collaborations with the community for things that could be mass produced and they have a uh, pc case that looks like a shark uh it's like called Whoa. the shark x or the x shark or something and it can hold a mini itx uh board in it but the actual shape of it and that it's definitely it's definitely a display piece for sure you know it's definitely something to flaunt but they're going to do it in a semi mass produced uh, configuration where it'll be only available for so many like units you know mm -hmm. so it'll be like a limited run but it'll definitely be mass produced in the capacity where it's like you you'll have a better chance of security securing one if you really want one um you know compared to some of those limited edition runs uh but right. they, the one thing i thought that was really cool especially as people are trying to become more engaged with their games that cooler master showed off um is a force feedback chair that they have set up in collaboration with another um, company, and I forget the name of the company. Uh, but what this system has in it, though, is that everything to actually move the chair around is built into the base of the chair or more like around the area of the wheels. So you have the wheels themselves. You have a large control box mm -hmm. underneath where everything sits. And then, of course, the chair. And if you're playing a game that has it built in, like the demo I saw had Forza Horizon 5, uh, uh, with the technology that worked with it, um, you could actually be driving a vehicle around and say you're driving along a rocky trail. You'd be bouncing around in your chair, actually getting that force feedback from the game as you're you're moving. I would just hate to see what happens if you're driving a Bugatti and do 250 miles an hour into the wall. 
you know, does the chair throw you into your monitor and, you know, kill you right there <laughs> on the spot? I don't, I don't you know. You can already see but, it now. But I just like the idea of the, of offering more of that force feedback system. Like, it's not the full-fledged, like, you know, turning left, right, um, forward, reverse, all that, like you'd see for some of these, like, uh, mm-hmm. fighter pilot type uh, uh, sim setups. But, you know, it may not go as far, but at least it's a nice way to provide another layer of immersion into the games. But, of course... Um, they also showed that it works. Uh, they said that it will work with movies too. And one of the first movies they've worked on incorporating into it was Top Gun Maverick. So during one of the dogfight scenes in there, uh, the chair was actually moving, of course, with the uh, with the planes and that. So that was pretty slick. But uh, they didn't share a price though. But it does look pretty cool. At least you know the idea of it being more um, accessible. Right. But yeah, yeah that, I mean, that's kind of a cool concept, definitely for sure. Yeah, and then of course, you know, um, I, I hate to dwell on Cooler Master, but it was the last thing I saw, and it was just the stuff that really stuck with me. They are also gonna, they're also getting into the business of selling uh, game pods in the sense of where it's the chair that you sit in and you bring the monitor and and that down to you and like oh, basically geez. a roof and such. Yeah, so they're getting into the business of that too. And the one that they offered, instead of it looking like just a massive metal. Um, frame like a lot of these ones have looked like this one looks more enclosed and looks definitely more complete uh it kind of gives me more of an idea or gives like more of a look of like a cocoon with the way the actual panels around it are shaped and i think the way those panels are shaped are supposed to help with directing sound around you instead of having to rely like on just a headset and such you know you can still use a headset in there if you want but it seems like if you have speakers that are facing to you that are like maybe speakers on your monitors or if you have other speakers that are on the system, it would help to bounce that sound around you to provide that more um, surround sound level experience. Interesting. But again, something out of our price range, Kyle. We won't be able to buy anything like that anytime <laughs> soon. No, no NPC news roundups from, from the pod, okay? Right. Uh, but uh, speaking of the CES news, let's just hop right into our first story of it all actually the first main story of it and that's playstation's announcements at ces 2023 and they kicked off uh a couple interesting things um so the first thing i want to hop into here actually is they announced an accessibility controller and i gotta say like it looks weird but i'm actually very happy to see that sony has jumped into doing it um so they call it project leonardo i'll bring up a picture of one of the modules there uh project leonardo of course is supposed to be a Um, an accessibility controller, one where the uh, button layouts, button assignments, the configuration setup can all be changed to better support players who have a hard time manipulating the regular DualSense controller. Uh, It comes with two different uh, setups. So you seeing just one side of the controller there. Here's another look at the other um, controller here too. Um, And again, you can map out these buttons in any which way. You can actually set up the buttons to do uh, two, like, different button presses on just one. So say you wanted to have R1 and R2 mapped to the same for some reason. You could just press that one button and it would do both. The joystick portions of it actually do expand out. So if it's too close into the buttons and you want to give yourself some more room to reach, then, hey, you can do that as well, too. And then it allows you also... Uh, Even with pulling up like the faceplates and such to change around where the buttons are at or even interface other uh, peripherals into it, too, uh, there's options for quick switching between this and a regular DualSense controller, too. So you don't have to like leave your game to go hop onto a regular controller using something like this. You can 
uh, do it right there, it sounds like, mid-game. And mm. yeah, and I thought, hey, that's actually kind of neat that they offer something like that, too. Uh, there's a picture right here on some of the hardware customization with the uh, plates that can come off. And of course the, uh, the, um, the analog stick, the larger analog stick, they're being able to slide in and out. But uh, Kyle, right. I, I said this to you and, you know, for first look at it is definitely a bizarre one for sure. Like it's, it's yeah. one we wouldn't have expected to see at least in this side uh, style. But what do you think of the look of it though? Uh, to me, it, it, Honestly, just because of the shape and everything, it almost looks like um, they took the concept of a, a tongue drum and added a arcade stick to it. Um, I yeah, that, that might sound weird, but um, I don't know. Just the I, I I don't know how how they envision the mobility to work on this particular controller, but it does look like. Um, because uh, you didn't really get any side views. Um, there And there are a couple side views out there, but it looks like there are ports on the side in order to connect other modular devices or controllers to, uh, similar to how the Xbox mobility controller works. So, I mean, it it's nice that Sony is finally uh, getting to the game, albeit a little bit late, but... Um, I'm glad to see that they're actually producing or, you know, have the concept to, to produce um, a mobility controller to bring, you know, access to games to more people. Yeah, I, I 100%. I mean, anything to be able to bring gamers together, no matter what, even mm -hmm. those who have the inability to play games in uh, their normal shipped fashion, you know, providing some type of experience to be able to do so is is fantastic. And I'm glad you brought up like the uh, uh, the adaptive controller there for the Xbox as well. So I went and looked closer at it just to kind of see some of these key differences mm -hmm. between them. Well, of course, we know this is obviously that round shape, like you said. It's it's got that um, it's got that kind of drum shape to it too, with the arcade stick and such. Um, but if we look here at this picture, oh, you have to forgive me here. I thought I had a better layout of it of the adaptive controller there but this is the one from microsoft of course for the xbox and the bigger difference here is that the uh not all of the controls just like we saw there on the uh on project leonardo are mapped here uh, a lot of it requires uh more of the emphasis of a, the external inputs into the back mm -hmm. of the actual adaptive controller here so that way um you can put on all the different things there and, and put in the different buttons and such right. so so that's where kind of one of the interesting things does stick out difference wise is that you have everything already there with the ability to plug in but you don't um on the xbox controller but you don't just like the sony one here you don't have those buttons like you don't have the entire like button register mapped to the one um, and available to the one device, like right there off the bat. Right. So I don't know. But uh, at this point in time, though, of course, it's just being shown off just to say that they've worked with um, those in the accessibility community to uh, figure out what would be the best course of action to make something like this. So they haven't announced any sort of release date, any prices, um, any details on exactly when it's going to be coming out. But I wouldn't be shocked to see something like this based on what I've read from other sources so far, that it could potentially come out later this year into the beginning of next year, if if time goes right with supply chain stuff and such. That that would actually be cool if it makes it to market this year. Um, I, I think it'd be uh, a big plus for Sony to, to put out the mobility controller 
Um, especially when they've uh, actually done so much with their, their current gen controller um, as far as innovation uh, with the contr- with the uh, triggers and um, going a little bit further with the HD rumble uh, like Nintendo had. Um, I, I, I think it's really cool. So, yeah, props to them. Hopefully uh, it comes agreed. out this year. I really hope so, too. Um, I would like to see it. I, I would love to get my hands on both of them. I'd love to get my hands on mm-hmm. the, the Xbox One and the PlayStation One. And uh, as a person who doesn't suffer any disabilities or anything like that or require any sort of um, assistive controller setup like this, I'd still like to be able to see what, um, you know, the value that you actually gain out of something like that if you do have some sort of handicap or disability that requires you to use something like that to play games. Oh, so definitely. It would just be nice to actually get hands on with. Um, carrying on, though, of course, uh, we knew that this was coming up as a movie, though, of course, and, and uh, there was also a lot of confusion exactly as to why they were doing something like this, but they actually gave us a sneak peek of the Gran Turismo movie. And I got to say, like, I, I, I didn't know what to expect. Like, I didn't know what we were going to be, like, looking at here. Uh, but what I got here from the, uh, the synopsis of this is that this actually ties into a event that Sony held um, like six or seven years ago to, I guess, find like a new driver or something for Gran Turismo. Like they had some sort of tournament or something that led to some sort of event with Nissan that then uh, this person ended up actually becoming a official like driver for, um, I think, for Nissan just because of, what they did with Gran Turismo. So this is a, a based on a true story, yeah. Um and I was huh. like I didn't know they had done anything like that. But yeah, I, I uh, wasn't aware that it was based on a true story. So that's that's news to me. That's really cool. Um I thought the whole concept sounded a little bit cheesy, but um now that I know that it is actually based on a true story and maybe I was a little bit harsh especially, you know, after the whole uh thing, what was it? Uh, about a month and a half ago where the driver uh cited GameCube and NASCAR on the GameCube for for his uh quick uh I what he he gained like six places in a race by riding the wall, so hmm. Uh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. I remember all the discussion about that and how that happened. And now, of course, now we're turning around. It's like, oh well, someone actually got to it by someone went the other way here by going through a challenge through Gran Turismo and stuff with Nissan right. to actually get up to that point and do it instead. Yeah. So, hey, see, video gaming can lead to great things, kids. <laughs> Just remember, though, you can't dig down to level negative eleven and find diamonds. At least not anymore. Okay, that's not how it works, regardless of where you're at. Okay. Yeah. It's just that, that you can't do that. Okay. Um, and there's no respawning either. Now, um, <laughs> they also decided, uh, besides that, uh, Jim Ryan was the one who was on stage to talk about PlayStation stuff, of course, because he's the head of uh, um, he's the head of PlayStation um, for Sony. He said that they passed 30 million units sold of the PlayStation Five, and that they be- they are saying that the shortage, though, for PlayStation Fives, the inability to get one should now be over. We should now be in a phase of uh, of better supply actually coming through of the PlayStation 5, which means, Kyle, for you and me here in town, we may actually start seeing PlayStation 5s on our shelves here, I would imagine, in the near future. 
Well, and, you know, honestly, even right before Christmas, I, I want to say like the 19th or 20th, I was at Walmart and just walking down the aisle, I, I was there with my mom and I was like, hey, look, mom, there there's a PlayStation. There There's another one. I could buy a PlayStation. Look, there's five more. And it, it, they were all God of War PlayStations. So I'm really hoping the availability for the console is going to be there, which means that we'll also see the availability uh, in, in actual stores, uh, Target, Walmart, Best Buy, without your, your, you know, pro member or, you know, your plus member uh, that you have to pay for to be able to gain access to that, to purchase that console. I hope those days are really over and we're going to start seeing them on the shelf for the regular consumer. I really hope so as well, because... It's. I think ever since the launch of the PlayStation 5, I only ever saw one on the shelf ever. My only other exposure to the PlayStation 5 was actually seeing it in those display cases where it was just the plastic model just to show you it. That was it. Yeah, and that's me too. And I can honestly say I've I've had more luck seeing um, Xboxes. Um, Of course, you know, Xbox Series S is quite constantly but i i've even seen a a series x in the the case every now and then it like target or walmart just sitting there and it's like it'll sit there for two or three days sometimes before someone picks it up but eventually it does happen and i i I just feel like we're at a point we should be seeing the units so hopefully we will be getting them soon and jim ryan's right and Potentially moving into, like, the end of the first quarter, I don't see there being a problem. And if there is, you know, any problems in the supply chain, hopefully it's, you know, it, it doesn't affect, I, I I guess, them as hard as it did, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic. I would hope not either, especially, like, that's the key part, is that if it does affect anything... Uh, or, or, I mean, it already did affect stuff, and we had a lot of people who were out there scalping the PlayStation 5 anyway and seeing those exorbitant costs mm-hmm. out there. So I'm really hoping that it is true that we are past it. Um, I mean, at least, my, I mean, Microsoft has had a leg up on this because we've seen numerous Series S's out on shelves. We've seen a Series X here and there, which is definitely more to say than the, what we've seen for the PlayStation 5 in the first place. But mm-hmm. maybe with the holiday glut, maybe there weren't as many PlayStation 5 purchases through the holidays, so now we're seeing more of a surplus of them sitting around in uh, warehouses and that ready to go out. Maybe that's more of what we're actually seeing versus just the overall supply chain fixes. Because you got to think, those suckers have got to be put onto a... they got to be put into a shipping container. they got to be shipped across the ocean. So you're talking about mm-hmm. the amount of lead time to get up to it. So I've got to imagine that there's got to be just a glut of them left over from the holidays. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, of course, Sony for a long time was uh, shipping them via air uh, to other countries just to in order to get them out to, to the consumer. Um, and that wasn't was no secret. But um, we're also at a point where they've had a, compl- uh, a huge backstock of, of consoles that didn't have chips. And now the chips got there and then they set in, you know, shipment for for so long. At, you know, in our harbors and in other countries' harbors, I mean, it was a it was a global problem, really and truly. So, you know, that all adds up to the point where hopefully 
the the supply chain becomes more regular because there was that back stock and we should be receiving more of a constant stock. I mean, we are talking about moving into into a generation already with the PS5 where we're going to have a modular disk unit, so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, last little bit of news in the VR front, especially they had a lot to talk about with VR, more specifically, of course, about the number of titles, and it looks like we're going to be seeing 30 titles coming out for the PSVR 2, not necessarily at launch, uh, which the PSVR 2 should be dropping, I believe, this next month. But we are seeing at least that they've got 30 titles slated for it so far, which also includes the, what they announced is that Gran Turismo 7 will be getting a VR equivalent for PSVR 2. Um, it looks like, though, where some of the confusion is at is whether it's going to be limited to single player for PSVR 2 or if it's going to allow for multiplayer. Uh, but they haven't officially confirmed that yet. But the other mm -hmm. part, too, is, uh, of course, one of the things that upset a lot of people about the PlayStation VR 2 is that it's not backwards compatible with PSVR titles. Uh, but we did get an announcement, though, that Beat Saber is in the works for being developed for the VR 2 specifically. So take that as you will. Um, To that, I will just say uh, come come closer to the launch i think we're just gonna have to wait for jim ryan to you know after the announcement and you know after they they talk about the the upcoming games jim ryan will come out on stage and go oh and to all the previous owners of the psvr if you've owned these particular titles we're gonna upgrade you for free within the first year <laughs> hopefully uh fingers crossed i'm not gonna be putting words in his mouth but i mean it it'd be nice so yeah well what money sony isn't spending on trying to take down microsoft from buying activision and blizzard they probably could use to help out their uh psvr fans who uh have to go buy a psvr 2 and then go back and buy all their games again potentially right yeah no kidding uh but again we focus more specifically on the playstation stuff with the gaming side especially if it relates more to like a console uh, one of the console manufacturers actually being there at CES, but of course Sony has more that they're showing off and offering anyway in general. Uh, but there's a lot more gaming news that came out of CES outside of the things we talked about there at the start, so be sure to go uh, check out your favorite uh, website, blog, uh, you, other YouTube channel, or the podcast net too to get more details on what else has been announced at CES 2023 because we are moving on to the next story in our list tonight, and that is EA coming out and saying that 60% of fans' Madden franchises, uh, all of those saves are most likely unrecoverable. Apparently, there was a data storage issue uh, that happened, uh, it looks like it was somewhere around the 28th of December, uh, some sort of issue on EA's side where around 60% of, uh, of franchises that are created by fans who play Madden uh, ended up becoming corrupted in some way and are now lost to e like all eternity. They were only able to recover 40%. Um, it says here, unfortunately, if you logged into franchise leagues during this time, your data was affected due to a data storage issue that resulted in franchise files being corrupted. Uh, first off, we are sorry this has happened. We know how important your franchises are to you, and we are actively working on a fix to restore some files via backup as soon as possible. However, not all affected leagues can be restored. The team is currently projecting around 40% of leagues to be recovered. But, uh, I mean, that's 
that's a well, pretty and, big issue. I mean, yeah, especially when you think that people spend money every year on fr- franchise mode. They, it's not just you know they spend money on the game; they actually pump money into the oh, exactly. the credits or whatever. I, I'm fairly certain they still have that in the game. Uh, I personally am not a, a Madden player. Um, I really never have been, unfortunately. Um, just not my cup of tea. But I know EA has, you know, tried to shove pay to win or you know pay to play aspects into games for for years now. And um, I'm fairly certain Madden's no exception. But it it's unfortunate that you know people pay for for a game that they lose all their data. I remember, however, once again, I think it was EA with Battlefield 4 on on the uh, launch of the Xbox One. Um, they they had issues with the saves. For an, almost an entire year, you couldn't even uh, save or or play multiplayer for an extended amount of time without without your data being corrupted and completely lost, even if it was, you know, saved off-site on the server. So uh, this is this is a problem for them. Um, but at the same effect, um, it's a game that comes out every year. And I it's sad, but I, I kind of I'm with them on their their standpoint of, well, just start a new franchise. Uh- <laughs> yeah, I wonder, though, like you said, if the franchise mode is a is maybe not even a pay to win, but there is a paid aspect to it. And there's been money invested into into it by players. And now, of course, there's potential for them mm-hmm. not getting their, their franchise back. Is it very possible that uh, EA could be liable in that sense in some capacity? I mean, I, I don't know what their terms of service say when it comes to it, but, you know, I mean... EA has a responsibility to make sure that they have backups of everything, make sure backups work, and they're only able to restore about 40% of that, which is a pretty significant yeah. number. So, Well, and, you know, they have so many major sports franchises that, that you know, offer the these franchise modes and, you know, different different modes that you're able to put extra money into the game uh, with. So... It seems like they would legitimize a ba- offsite backup of some sort that would be fully up to date all the time instead of, you know, having to worry about trying to recover even 40% of, you know, the users that lost their saves. You're talking like some sort of redundancy where the, the backup of the backup is saved elsewhere. Right. Yeah, I would imagine for as big of a organization as ea is that they would have something like that for their games especially when they offer a cloud uh save functionality here for something as important as this at least to some people who do play madden but again they don't have numbers actually listed on to how many people were affected they just of course give numbers on on the leagues and that or franchises excuse me and i i can't speak to the the madden or you know nfl so on and so forth releases as of late because i i haven't worked at a uh a an actual retail store in a long time and i i don't do launches anymore um i just do all my stuff online so um that being said we're having previously worked at gamestop some of the madden releases some of the nfl releases fifa 
they could be as big as like a Call of Duty as a Mortal Kombat. Um, and, it, you know, you'd be surprised, but were you really? I mean, how many people are sports fans out there? And there are a lot of people. I, I had a boss that he bought every new console when it came out only to buy this or only to buy um, MLB and NFL. He, he bought place, every PlayStation when it came out just to play those two games. Hmm. So, I mean, there there are a lot of people that watch sports. There are a lot of people that play games. There's got to be a big crossover between the two. And I feel like uh, because, you know, knowing my history with how big those launches were, like I said, I don't, I don't know how big they are now in the re- retail side of things. But it seems like EA, you know, would have a long time ago created some sort of uh, redundancy uh, for their processes for this not to happen. Yeah. And it's such a, a big money maker. Yeah, absolutely agree. And I would think though, too, I think you're right is that there's a lot of crossover in the gaming and actual sports uh, world that not only do you watch the sport, but you're more likely to play the game equivalent of that on your console or your PC. Like we, a, a good example. Yeah. A good example would be like Preston. We know for sure. Like he plays like NBA 2k, like he's played all of those mm-hmm. games for years. I would imagine if some feature like that existed for, for 2k, you know, this franchise mode, which I assume probably does that if he right. was to lose something like that, I mean, you know, he's, and he's also one who plays basketball as well though, too. So, um, right. It's definitely. But I mean, even for young kids. Oh yeah, that too. Yeah, they get to play their heroes, so that you know. Dude, no kidding. So it it could, yeah. I mean, it's going to affect across all the spectrum, adults and kids alike. So, uh, but as it stands right now, EA has not really provided any other details out there to any of the news orgs. We haven't seen anything yet either, other than just this news. There about only looks like around forty percent could be recovered. So. If you're someone affected, we'd love to hear about it, of course. Make sure to drop a comment on the uh, the podcast audio itself, of course, when this is this should be podcast audio, of course, after, but then or drop us a comment on the uh, VOD as well, too. Uh, but in the meantime, let's carry on and talk about the next story here. And analysts are predicting that Nintendo's next-gen console will not arrive until 2024. I don't know why I was doing all the hesitating and and that. I think I was trying to provide some some emotion and some some uh some I don't know what the word is I want to use here. Uh I don't know, some some drive into what's going to be happening here because as you and I know, Kyle, the Switch is kind of in a really weird spot right now. Like it's it's the it was the top-selling console for last year. It's been the top-selling mm-hmm. console for the last several years. But it's starting to really show its age. It's bleeding out constantly, and though. It, we just had a major discussion about this too, and I I kind of ragged and harped on the uh, Switch um, for where they're at right now with everything and how you know previously they they would have normally maybe done a mid life cycle upgrade and you know kind of where we thought what they were at a, at, at this point, but. You know, I think my views have maybe changed a little bit, but I I think I think this kind of hits to where we were we were kind of arriving at the end of our conversation actually. Well, 
speaking of conversations, I need to have a conversation with this kitten here who decided to crawl up on my desk as we're in the midst of trying to get this done. <laughs> so Tigger is here to say hello. Hello, Tigger. Goodbye, Tigger. Now, um, no, you did. I mean, you you did land hard there on the on the switch, and it's. I think it's pretty apparent though to the greater community, especially with what we've seen with. Uh, with what happened with Scarlet and Violet and the issues that are still going on there, I don't think there's actually been um, any major fixes to a lot of the performance problems that people have been experiencing, but that's still one of the top-selling games of 2022. Um, mm -hmm. I even actually saw it firsthand. Um, I saw it with uh, another friend of ours that um, she was showing me on her Switch. She's like, check this out. I'm like, I haven't actually seen this. I've only seen videos, and sure enough, like watching... Uh, uh, characters in the background moving at like 15 frames a second you know or really choppy animations here and these other things going on it was just it was a shock to see so the fact yeah. that we're going into a new year especially with a new zelda coming up in the next several months and that and we're a, not getting a zelda new collector's console yeah and the zelda collector's console which also leaked out um yeah but that we're that, not that's just an oled it is exactly it's an oled that's yeah. themed for tears of the kingdom but the fact, though, that we're not going to be seeing one potentially till next year. So this is according to an analyst, um, as reported on by GamesIndustry.biz. Uh, so the analyst's name is Piers Harding Rolls, and he's from Ampere Analysis. And what he goes on to talk about uh, is that he's saying he doesn't expect a next-gen Nintendo console to arrive this year. And the forecasts are at least showing that uh, we could see one next year instead, 2024. Um it's interesting to think, though, especially that we could, but, you know, that it could take that long. But the question is, how exactly is the existing Switch going to fare with the next Zelda game? Because they went so ambitious with Zelda Breath of the Wild by mm -hmm. making it open world and by offering more area to explore, more things to do instead of just being a linear Zelda title as we've seen over uh, basically its entire lifetime. And now you've got a second one coming out that I've got to imagine aims to be above and beyond even Breath of the Wild. Is it really in Nintendo's best interest to keep going like this? Um, you know, is are we going to end up seeing one of these things where Breath of the... Like, for the first time ever, we actually see Tears of the Kingdom get all this praise for its story, praise for the campaign praise for the the new powers or new things you can do praise for these new thing these other activities and whatnot but then we actually see it take a hard hit on the scores because of performance problems um or is it you know maybe coming close to being potentially one of the last hurrahs i mean this is a game that's been in development for a long time so it's obviously going to have the polish of the system uh, but it also could be, you know, one of those cross-generational games like Nintendo has had with so many other Zelda games where it comes out with uh, for the GameCube and the Wii and, you know, the Wii and the Wii U or, you know, so on and so forth. You, you get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm, I do. Um, it, it has the potential to do that, but I... I also think that we're we're looking at a game that it's been in production for so long. So the the engine has to be polished at this point. They have to know some tricks. Um I don't think we're quite at the end of the the lifespan of this of the system yet. Uh but we're very very close. And I think I I might be landing more like closer to a Metroid Prime uh announcement being the the end of the console significant 
you know, being the sig signify yeah signifier, uh, excuse me, of kind of the 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 close of the console lifespan. Um, but yeah, I I think Zelda's right there with it. Um, it's just that we've had Metroid Prime in in production for so long as well, and rumors of the new Metroid Prime as well. Um, as for the the next console, I I see it being more of a crossover, potentially similar to like maybe a uh, DS to a 3DS, where they put a tab on the the cartridge or something, or you know make a cartridge slot that has two bays, like a like a tiered bay almost. Um, but I I think we still are a ways off, and I think projection for um 2024 is a little close considering we haven't even heard an announcement from nintendo as of yet well there are still the rumors going around where uh i believe it was bloomberg who was talking about it lately um mm -hmm. was following along with what these analysts were saying as well too about new nintendo switch hardware that there was a planned refresh of the actual hardware like a mid-gen refresh mm -hmm. um not necessarily just the addition of an OLED screen, but actually more uh, processing power underneath the hood that we could have actually seen been available for some of these other games. And it sounds like a lot of developers actually had their hands on what was the dev kit for that version of Switch. And then and I've heard that as well. Yeah. And I mean, that's been a rumor that we've talked about several times in different episodes as well, too. But the key part of it, though, is that Nintendo decided to hold back for some reason. Nintendo decided to pull back on it and say, no, we're not doing this now. And all we got out of it was the OLED switch. We just got a new screen and a new dock, and that was it. Here, here's my theory on that as well. Um, they were trying to avoid the uh, Wii Mini and the uh, the Wii U. I agree Two with consoles that, too. That, that just didn't do so hot. The Wii Mini, I mean, they, they kind of are at a weird point with the uh the switch light uh because it's it's not quite you know the full console um it it suffers from some of the same issues as the full console plus so but it's also more portable it has a better battery life um i don't know i i, I really think they're trying to avoid another Wii uh Wii mini and Wii U catastrophe because you, you think about the lifespan of the, the Wii U console, it only really was big right at the very beginning and right at the very end. We didn't see a lot of game production anywhere in the middle ground for it for some odd reason. Uh, almost like Nintendo left it hanging to to just be played with uh, Wii games while they, they worked on the Switch concept, which was, you could tell was already in design with the, the way the, the controller was shaped with the Wii U. But... Um, that being said, I I think maybe 2024 we can look at potentially getting an announcement for a rumored console. I I think that's that's where we're at. You got to also look at the the analytics for Nintendo for the fact that, you know, the Switch is a hybrid console. They see it as both a a regular console where, you know, their regular consoles usually right. had about a 6 to 8 year lifespan. And their handheld console, however, those usually have about a 10-year lifespan. 
Um, so when you look at that, maybe Nintendo's looking at it and saying, oh, well, maybe we need to extend it out to about eight to ten years before we really make any, you know, ground on, on what we're going to actually do or make an announcement, you know, and then put something out. And then that yeah. that also does give them the time because it's got it's got to be a hybrid at this point. I think I don't think it? they could. I I think it's got to be. I agree a hundred percent. I don't think they're going to shift away from it being a hybrid console uh, of any type, unless uh, unless by some crazy chance they decide to go to they decide to go the path of having a home console that mm-hmm. you know is a dedicated home console but they decide to offer the portability part and come out with some sort of streaming app that's similar to using uh, like Xbox's game streaming where you can do like remote play from your console itself, um, that they would do something similar to that. But Nintendo doesn't have the network chops to actually get something like that put in place unless they have a partner to help them do something like that. Yeah. Now, that's why that's why they would have to really stick with doing the existing form factor that they've got now with the Switch. Come up with something that's similar to the switch already but is definitely beefier uh under the hood um you know don't, don't just give I us agree. like a switch too you know don't do anything like that you know i would kind of laugh a bit though if they came out with the super switch you know because we went from the nintendo well, to the super nintendo i'd love to see a, a super switch for some reason and maybe they need to look at you know how successful the steam deck the ionia next the uh what is it the 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 one what I forgot what that one's called. It's the one something. The one X. Uh, but is it the one X? Yeah, I think so. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, how successful those those handhelds have been. And maybe they can get away with a fixed unit like the Switch Lite and have it be a docking unit. But also without the caveats that, you know, you don't have to connect the USB-C to the top of the, the console. You don't have to worry about docks not working with some updates i i think nintendo has advantages in the hardware sector in in that aspect and maybe they need to lean on that and look at the concepts that are out that have evolved from their current concept yeah agreed um yeah yeah so 2024 maybe we'll see an announcement towards the end of this year nintendo's really keen on releasing things around like a march time period so because that's usually the end of their fiscal year or beginning of their fiscal year so maybe that's right maybe we'll see the announcement at the beginning of 2024 but we won't see something till the end of the year like maybe towards like christmas time or something so right uh but i guess yeah we'll be on the lookout for that new console and of course as we wait for that new console, we here at the NPCs, of course, like to roll our eyes whenever we have to bring up news like this ourselves because we talk about it to death. We despise talking about it, but it is gaming news, and we feel the need to continue talking about it, though, just because it I is out there. Go gra- get my trash can. Let me go. Yeah, get ready to throw up here, folks, because we're getting ready to talk about NFTs and blockchain yet again. And this time, back on the block, on the chopping block, chopping blockchain, I don't know, uh, is Square Enix. So Square Enix uh, every year issues a New Year letter. Uh, I believe it's a letter that usually goes to investors and, of course, is kind of for, like, the broader gaming community anyway, though, about what their plans are going through the year. And so Square Enix uh, President Yusuke Matsuda uh, went ahead and put out, of course, the letter for 2023 saying that blockchain is going to be the main focus, of course, for um, 
what they consider their medium-term investments. So I don't know. I mean, I've got to imagine, you know, you've got long-term investments, short-term investments, medium-term. So I'm guessing that's at least through the the next fiscal year. Um, But what they say here is that in terms of our new business domains, we name three focused investment fields under our medium-term business plan. Among those, we are most focused on blockchain entertainment, to which we have devoted aggressive investment and business development efforts. Uh, looking externally, I think it's fair to say the blockchain gained significant recognition as a field in 2022, as evidenced by Web 3.0 becoming a firmly established buzzword among business people. I hate that part here. However, this, this is where they go on to say it, and this is why I still roll my eyes at why they're making these pushes here. However, this year we also saw volatility in the cryptocurrency and NFT markets that tracked uh, the dramatic shifts in the macro uh, economy described above. The latter half of the year in particular produced a somber string of news stories with blockchain connections, including the scandalous bankruptcy filing for FTX in November. In the wake of these developments, we hear rumblings from some countries of early moves to regulate such business more strictly. In Japan, meanwhile, the drive to encourage such businesses has gained momentum led by the government. Um, so, okay, so let's, let's, let's start really, Kyle, for the fact that they recognize that they want to do something here with blockchain and that, and, and NFTs, but they also make clear the way the volatility has been this year alone, or this last year alone, excuse me, I got to remember we're in a new year, Mm -hmm. um, with crypto as a whole. I mean, we saw Bitcoin prices drop dramatically. We saw the values of NFTs drop like aggressively from their original values we saw of course not only the bankruptcy of ftx but we also saw a bunch of other crypto exchanges suffer not only because of their link to ftx but also because of their uh just the general volatility in the environment uh even just uh i believe is either today or even yesterday there was a news posting that says another uh crypto investment company is now going to be shedding 40 percent of its workforce because of uh, uh, because of the way the, the crypto market is trending right now. So why do you think Square Enix is still continuing to push this way? Do you think that like they, they're seeing something that we aren't? Do you think that we're maybe we're just blind to it because we're frustrated with the idea and concept of NFTs and games? Um, I mean, we've talked about this to death, but like, where do you think Square is going with this? Um... Man, it's hard to say. Uh, I I think if any any one gaming company could probably pull it off, it'd be Square uh, Square Enix with their their catalog of characters and whatnot uh, to draw from their their rich history of you know Final Fantasy, uh, even even their sceneries that they could they could draw from uh, from previous artworks uh, that have been produced. But I. I also look at the fact that uh, one of the things that was announced at CES this year was the the concept of an NFT shoe. And it was an NFT shoe box that it, it's basically a hologram shoe box that you can store shoes in a box, but then you could also, next to it, store a hologram of those shoes and also 20 other pairs of shoes that you have. And I, I mean, it, it's kind of a weird concept for me because I, I don't personally collect shoes. I know people that do, um, and that's cool. But I, I could also maybe see what if you could collect an NFT of uh, a battle scene. Um, we've we've seen it, you know, some minor successful come from Konami with their their Castlevania line of NFTs. 
um, and and even some success with uh, resellers uh, being able to to gain money out of them. I I mean the the concepts there, but to the same effect, I, you're you're buying into a market of a item that has to be hosted elsewhere. You don't really have ownership over anything, but the the concept of data in, that that's not actually here. So I the fact that people are paying outrageous amounts for them and the fact that a company wants to generate outrageous amounts of money to fund games uh from them I I think it's a, it's still bonkers but maybe they can make it work I I I don't know maybe I'm just my brain has melted out of my ear at this point talking from about NFTs and I'm I I'm just I don't know what to say at this point dude that's that's my that's my key thing though too is that like I I agree that there's a lot of a lot of artwork, a lot of detail, a lot of a lot of things that could be converted into NFTs um as they relate to like the greater Square Enix catalog, okay? I I get that. I'm right there with you. But we've already seen it this year though, especially or this last year, the the level of deceitfulness that goes into the way NFTs are actually sold and purchased, mm -hmm. how those are tracked and managed so that way you still retain your ownership, but at the same time, a lack of protections for the end user, for the consumer, when something does go awry. The fact that... How, like, are they how is the end user supposed to verify the NFT? How are they supposed to continuously verify that they have access to the right data for the nft and their you know web location hasn't been taken from them or hasn't vanished entirely because they're just running off of a cache exactly that's that's a big part of it um yeah because you don't have like the true level of verification i know people argue it's like oh blockchain you've got the ledger you've got you've got this immutable ledger here that will allow you to see exactly where these these things are being handed off and such it's like okay that's great but I would like one of, it, of those people to point out their their part of the ledger in an actual ledger. But what they I, can't read right. it. Right. But the bigger part that I would actually argue more than anything, though, still is the lack of protections. That if I owned an NFT, let's say I owned an NFT worth $1,000, okay? Like mm -hmm. I went and bought it, and it's still on the market there. You know, it says, like, this has still got a value of $1,000. People still pay $1,000 for it. And someone takes it. Someone gets my private keys and is able to get into my wallet wherever this NFT actually resides at and is able to transfer it to themselves. No money exchanges or anything like that. And now, because of the way NFTs are tracked and such, there's no way for me to get any recourse back. There's no way for me to get that NFT back. There's no way for me to recover any funds that could relate to it. Nothing whatsoever. There, there's nothing that handles that. That happened to Seth Green, and he paid buku bucks to get an nft back just so he could use it for a tv show exactly but that's that's seth so, green who has access to more capital right. than what you and i have but i mean so, if you if say joe schmo owned uh you know this nft that one day he woke up and it went from five dollars to a hundred five thousand dollars you know um all of a sudden it it, it just I don't know. It, it it did like a million times its value or whatever. Um, how right. what what's there? They're out there to protect him. 
I mean, how how does he how is he going to protect his NFT or you know him in his wallet even you know what what because a lot of people don't have the 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 knowledge of the security of the the wallets or the NFTs and whatnot or you know what could have potentially happen to him in the first place. So I mean, it's a dangerous ground in any way. Yeah, and we already know that game companies are going to get are going to continue on with doing this regardless of the massive shock to the to the um to the crypto web 3.0 environment that happened this last year i just i don't see how well it's actually going to to provide value to an end user i don't see where this is actually going to help anybody or or anyone with you know, uh, other than the companies making money off of selling these things here. And then, of course, like and with Ubisoft's case, it's like, oh, they sold these or they had these NFTs that related to a game that they're now no longer developing, you know, and now it's like, OK, well, what do I do with this? Where, where can I use this item next? Do you have anything in the pipeline I can use it in? No, then. Yeah. And I, I think money. that that's going to be the next big problem is you have all these companies that are trying to to centralize a decentralized thing. You know, the whole the whole concept of a decentralized currency backing, you know, an art, you know, art or, you know, objects that are also in the. Uh, the Web3 area. Um, yeah, that, exactly. that's kind of unpoliced and whatnot. And they're trying to centralize it and you know put a name on it and make it corporate and i think they're going to get a lot of pushback from big supporters of of nfts and of crypto in in the first place from it and i think that's partially also why ubisoft failed at it probably more likely than not probably but unfortunately nfts and blockchain stuff as it relates to games is going to be here and until there's actual value in it for um you know, for like you and I, for example, like I just for the regular gamer, I don't see where it's going to actually be a big money maker. where I like these game companies thinks it, like think it's going to be. I don't know exactly what they're expecting or hoping for with all of this. But if it's to wring just the last couple dollars out of a out of a player to get hold of something that has no tangible value and no way to protect it for that user, then whatever. It's just it's definitely not a thing, I think. I think I could safely speak for both of us that we have no reason to go and hop into it. Yeah, I I have no support for for the concept, and I I still, after you know what two years now, uh, solid of talking about NFTs and gaming, it still has no place in the gaming world, um, because there are so many children that have access to to it, and there there are so many people that don't understand the concept, and that it, it's it's still an obscure concept to understand to to be trying to put it in the gaming world so i Abs think it needs to keep its keep away absolutely absolutely uh so i guess we just have to wait and see what other games are coming out they got one game already that's coming out uh that deals in nfts and that but uh, we'll have to see what the rest of their pipeline looks like going into 2023. But in the meantime, we move on to our last main story of the day, or of the week, excuse me. And that happens to deal with uh, ZeniMax Studios. So the QA staff uh, at ZeniMax Studios, of course, Microsoft-owned, uh, uh, yeah, one of the Microsoft-owned uh, game groups there, uh, has now joined up with the Communication Workers of America, 
and uh, has uh, voted in favor of forming a union. And according to the information here that I'm gathering from uh, this article from Engadget, it looks like Microsoft has been nothing but supportive and actually embraced them moving forward with actually becoming a union, which uh, awesome. with all of the efforts for um, with all the efforts of uh, different video game companies out there and video game groups working to unionize to be able to protect themselves and, and gain those additional benefits that being in a union provides. Uh, you know, the fact that we're actually seeing this happen here, especially uh, with Microsoft, though, too, um, you know, this is a pretty big deal because this does make it the largest, this will make it the largest video game union that exists. And that's, uh, I believe, what's that number there? 300 uh, ZeniMax uh, QA staff members, which is pretty, pretty cool to see, especially. Um, yeah, that's that's a lot. And, you know, yeah. it, it's a great thing, I think, for for companies in the industry to be joining unions, um, especially to avoid situations that happened uh, with Bl- like like with Blizzard Activision with the sexual sexual allegations um, of the last couple years. That I don't think we're really quite through. I don't think we're to the bottom of it, and um, I I don't really want to talk about it too much more. But I I think it having a union for workers to to have access to join um prevents some of that to happen and and it gives a lot of workers a resource to reach out to 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 get help if if something is going on in the workplace as well that they need help with absolutely i think yeah in the wake of what's been going on with activision blizzard not not necessarily the acquisition uh drama by microsoft but more of what happened over the last couple summers um, with Activision Blizzard themselves. Um, yeah, this would definitely be one of those things to have those advocates for you in the union themselves. So the things that the... Uh, uh, so what it's called here, the actual union, it looks like it's going to be called uh, ZeniMax Workers United slash CWA. Uh, and it looks like what they're looking to have the union's help with is to end sudden periods of crunch, make pay more equitable and improve communication with management among other benefits. Um, so the fact that, I mean, that's, I think that's actually the largest part of it is not necessarily even just the pay part. I think it is the crunch part itself because that's been, oh, yeah. that's been the story for the last several years, even pre pandemic talking about the number of hours Batter that, uh, the number of hours that a company would spend uh, working on a game to, finalize everything that they need to and to be able to meet those deadlines they have to put in 70 80 hours a week if not more to be able to deliver on what they need to deliver on right yeah so i mean what do you think though kyle i mean out of all of it do you think like that this may evolve from being just zenimax workers united maybe to being uh more within microsoft that this might open up to be other like might change to being more like qa workers united or something instead you know for the rest of the gaming community like what do you think you know i i would really like to see that like i said i i think it really prevents stuff uh like what happened in in previous years uh in the internal studio at blizzard activision with all the sexual allegations from happening i i think it provides a more safe and fair and I don't know, accessible work environment for people. Um, and, and the fact that it eliminates the crunch, that that's one of the big things that they're 
they're going after you know trying to trying to prevent and get help with that that's excellent i mean you 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 hit the nail on the head um the last couple years we've talked about studio after studio suffering from crunch and they lose you know how many people uh that just up and leave studio and they either you know are done working with the industry for you know a couple years or they leave the industry entirely just because of no joke. how they feel that they were treated with that crunch and that that shouldn't exist no one should have to feel that that strain and the fact that you know you work on a game for so long and it's that the love of your life you know you you put everything into it and all of a sudden you know you're experiencing this crunch this stress trying to trying to get it out for other people and all of a sudden it's it's almost like the the labor of your your or the yeah the 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 labor of your love you know it's getting taken away from you and that that's not good i mean no in the what, grand, what are these people working for <laughs> yeah exactly in the grand scheme of game development that's that will burn out uh, uh both a game developer and a gamer faster than anything else that it just sucks the fun out of all of it so understand that yeah um but again this is only a vote right now at least on the union or voted to unionize um it doesn't actually say uh, it doesn't provide any sort of expanded detail on exactly when the, uh, um, uh, like when everything will be fully solidified with the union. Because of course, by voting on it is one thing, but I believe there's still other like charters and such that have to be established and union dues and things all organized. But Microsoft at least recognizing that Zenimax Workers United exists and uh, you know, or recognizes that the union's there and is going to do what they need to do on their part to to support it and such is good. And it's what we need in the gaming world right now, more than anything, is we need more of the dev teams to stand up and, and fight for that because we can't enjoy all these different gaming experiences without them putting in the effort. And if they're being mistreated, we all suffer. That's the key part. So, but with that being the last bit of the main news, and as Kyle takes his drink to get himself prepared, we're in to the last bit of the news, and that is the quest markers. That's right, quest markers being the last little bits of the news for the week that didn't fit directly into our main news stories, but definitely deserve a mention. So, Kyle, it is time for you to take it away, dude. What do we have in the quest markers this week? Well, I'm going to kind of quick fire this because I've been kind of losing my voice off and on all uh, recording, but uh, so our first bit of news, uh, Games Done Quick founder uh mike uh you 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 ama i i am not sure i'm pronouncing that right is uh stepping down uh after completing 13 years with the company uh of course he started the uh, company 13 years ago and in, in his mother's basement and it has evolved uh raising over 41 million dollars for charity uh, in the past 13 years um Unfortunately, he just wants to move on from the from GDQ. Um, quoting, uh, say, or I guess he he said his reasons for stepping away. Uh, quoting him, uh, so a GDQ uh, 2023 uh, marks my 13th year of G- GDQ. I've been uh, at it for a long time, and I decided it's time to take a break. I realized that I need to take care of my health and kind of focus on different activities. Um, so 
basically just going to focus on himself and health. Um, but it, it's great that you know they've he's been with the the company for so long and managed to start such a uh, charitable foundation that that has been so successful for so long. So he will be missed, unfortunately. Hopefully he uh, goes on to greater things. Uh, but in our next bit of news, uh, Wizards of the Coast is reported or has reportedly canceled five, at least five video games. Uh, but no one knew because they hadn't even been announced. Um, of course, this goes back to uh, 2019 when uh, Wizards of the Coast had announced uh, that their internal studio had been working on multiple AAA titles. Um, but with the lack of success of Baldur's Gate 3 um, and the uh, Dungeons and Dragons uh, recent release, I want to say, that was on uh, Xbox One uh, towards the end of the console's life, uh, they have announced that they've canceled these titles to refocus on uh, current bids. So look forward to that. And carrying on, um, Kojima has said, screw dying, he's going to become an AI. In a recent interview with, uh, I want to say it was IGN Japan, uh, he had joked with the interviewer that once he's done with the uh, gaming industry, that they'll just create an AI of him so he can continue working on games and continue to collaborate and evolve new game concepts and ideas so be on the lookout for kojima ai metal gear in the future metal gear metal gear <laughs> and in our last quick save uh for the the evening um new reports say standing a ps5 upright could cause a catastrophic failure due to a liquid metal leak of course, the uh, liquid metal, uh, it sounds like after two years of being stood up, even though that it does have the foam protective layer around the uh, actual processor, could cause overheating issues and potentially board failure. Um, so if you do have your PS5 standing up and have it standing up from, or have had it standing up since release, you may consider laying it down or who knows? You may just write it out at this point and see what what comes out with the uh, modular uh, PS5. But that is it for the uh, quick saves for this evening. You mean the quest markers? Quest markers. I said quick saves <laughs> twice, I think. Damn it. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah, quest markers, those things. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. But in the meantime, of course, what else is all right, or maybe not all right, it's up to you on how you want to see this, of course, is that it is the end of the news roundup for the week of January 6, 2023. So, of course, with everything said, everything mentioned, thank you so much, of course, for joining us for this week's news roundup. Of course, be sure that if you missed anything here on this, you're either going to go back and rewatch the VOD here on our YouTube page. Make sure you hit subscribe so that way you're, uh, you're there and uh, watching us live as soon as we go on. Or, of course, if you want to and you want to take us on the go, you can go ahead and check us out on your favorite podcast platform of choice where the audio from this will be available the next day. So you can go and check us out on our homepage, anchor.fm slash the-mcs-podcast um, and listen to us 
us there or go find us on your favorite podcast platform of choice. We're on Google Podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, many others out there. So be sure to go find us and subscribe to us on there too. Be sure to check us out on social media as well too on Facebook and Twitter at the NPCs Podcast. And again, like I said, subscribe here on YouTube so when we go live, you'll know when we're there. And so you don't miss a minute of the weekly news roundup. With that, thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. We'll catch you all next week. Laters. <laughs> <laughs>